People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trojan welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Now, I'm pleased to tell you that the UK-based Dante Quartet are visiting South Africa for the first time, and they'll be performing at the Voortfeers, Cape Town and Johannesburg, and also doing workshops in between at Stellenbosch and also at UCT. Now, two of the members of this quartet are South African Zoe Bayers and Ian Watson, and also Carol Ella and Richard Jenkinson are from the UK, and they have quite a schedule. So Zoe Bayes is with me here in the studio, fresh from... Welcome, Zoe. Where did you come from? Did you fly direct from the UK? Thank you, Rodney. Yes, I did fly direct from London, although uh, it's the longest flight I've done in quite a while, so it felt a (laughs) bit Was it direct, I hope? It was direct, at least, yes. And I had a lovely lady sitting next to me, so I was happy. Oh, well, there you go. And at least you've been able to settle because your first concert was on Friday at the Wurdfiers, I mean on Saturday, and then also in Stellenbosch. So you've had a bit of time to settle down, but... Do you still have family here in South Africa? Yes, I do. I have extended family here and I'll be busy catching up with them, which is part of the delight of this tour, is carving out bits of time to see people I haven't seen for a very long time. How long have you been away now? It's been a long time, hasn't it? It has. Well, you know, it's (laughs) a classic thing. I went to study when I was 17 and and I've basically stayed in the UK uh, working since then. So that is a very long time. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been with the Dante Quartet? So I've been with the Dante Quartet for three or four years. It's a bit funny because obviously we reformed and then there was COVID. So I don't really know whether to backdate it to um, before that or from really now. Um, we, in the last year and a half, we've been um, very busy. So things have picked up, fortunately. Good for you. Yes, it's, it's a real um, kind of resurrection of music um, of everywhere. Absolutely. It's a lovely way of putting it, actually, a resurrection of music. <laughs> but the Dante Quartet, um, are you, you, which violin do you play? So I play first violin. First violin, okay. Yeah. And then the other, the South African, Ian Watson? Ian. So, yes, Ian, amazingly, went to school with my brother, uh, how's this for a small world? Um, I didn't know him at that point. Um, and my dad actually taught him, which was uh, wonderful, really, <laughs> when I found out. Um, what a, coll- what yeah, a connection. And we, and we met, actually, bizarrely, in Edinburgh, playing together in the Edinburgh String Quartet. So we have played together in chamber groups for a really long time, Ian and I. Um, same with Richard and I, actually, the cellist, Richard uh-huh. Jenkinson. Um, and he is uh, probably my longest standing colleague, really. Uh, we were in the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra together. We did loads of chamber music back then. Um, so it felt like a really natural form this group took. Um, and Carol, our violist, I've known her since we were at um, the Royal College of Music together. So we're all weirdly connected. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, a quartet, with the very nature of a string quartet, a connection is quite important, isn't it? It's such an intimate art form, uh, playing that glorious music that composers wrote for the string quartet. Yes, it's vital. I think also you're you're spending very intense time together. The concerts are incredibly intense, Um, very intellectually intense, as well as emotionally. but then you're spending a lot of, of downtime together as well, um, traveling. And um, I think it's essential 
that there is a really good feeling in the group and I mean we're sort of found family I suppose the four of us and I think that's how it works because we all have a lot of other stuff going on work-wise um, outside of the quartet and it's very important I think to to feel that you're understood by your quartet colleagues that if there are other pressures on you that it's it's absolutely understandable to them and and that you're all in the same boat really mm. it is because both artistically and as you say now just personally there needs to be a connection absolutely um, to understand each other in really quite stressful situations as well with some of the repertoire that <laughs> the string quartet <laughs> has had written for it is that so it is and if you have the right group that stress is taken away or it's shared out equally and that then seems somehow to be i don't know a very uplifting experience when the that when that um burden is shared and then it's it sort of ceases to be stress or it becomes a really positive stress i don't really know how to put it um <laughs> it's like it's like the adrenaline rush we get from from you know playing a live concert but but magnified and and uplifted by by your colleagues yes and the intimacy of it all as yeah. i said but your my call it your main job is as concert master of the bbc philharmonic is that right that is right yes that is my day job if you like your day job <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that is, we all juggle a lot of different um, strands. And I think that that's very common for musicians everywhere in the world. That's mm -hmm. that's nothing new. It's very rare these days for um, musicians just to have one role. And I see it with most of the um, most of the colleagues we have in the UK, for sure. Um, partly that's because we get paid so little, but that's all. <laughs> but, but 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 in the main, I think it's because really we can't limit ourselves. I don't think anybody wants to limit themselves just to one form of music making and 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 the richness that you draw from different um, genres and different um, collaborations is part of what feeds one's passion for music and and for continuing to make music so very does important. the orchestra the bbc philharmonic does it give you time off like now because i would assume that a concert master's job is very all-consuming and time-consuming they're really understanding in fact i think it's bbc policy really um to encourage their players to be very um kind of uh, diverse and to have other interests as well. I think the the, the whole um, intention being that you you then back in your day job, as it were, you're far more committed to that. So mm -hmm. it, there's a there's a very positive trade off. Um, so they're very understanding and they're very supportive. I'm very lucky with that. Who's your principal conductor at the moment? So our principal conductor is Jon Storgards, who is a Finnish conductor and very fine violinist, actually. Um, He's an immense talent. He really is an extraordinary musician. And the orchestra's been carving its way through Shostakovich cycles, Nielsen cycles, Sibelius cycles with him. <laughs> you say carving. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> well um, <laughs> it, it feels uh, carving is maybe at the edge, <laughs> is maybe not wrong because he brings a kind of energy and vitality to this that feels very edgy and feels very new and uh, invigorating and so we're really enjoying working with him your first piece of music is the last section for want of a better word of the symphony number no. 13 by Shostakovich which we don't get to hear very often I have to say it's not <laughs> one of the pop ones no. so tell me about this who's playing it and why you've chosen this 
the reason I've chosen this is because we recently um, performed it and I didn't know it until then. And its nick its nickname is Babi Yar, which That's is right. a site in the Ukraine, which was uh, a site, an original um, site of, of Stalin atrocities, or post-Stalin atrocities. Um, and it's now just recently been bombed um, by the Russians. And playing this piece, um, as we did in uh, May, felt profoundly... Um, symbolic um, and it's very it's a very powerful complex piece it's got a male voice choir in it and that in itself gives it a kind of depth and darkness that's undeniable and it's it's also got a bass baritone solo so it's a, it's not really a symphony it's more a cantata mm-hmm. But you, you've suggested we listen to the last movement. It has as its name, its nickname, Career, sort of the last five minutes of the piece. Yes. Well, the, the poems um, that were written for it are very um, uh, typical of the, of the time, the 1960s, are very um, ironic, very sarcastic. So don't be put off by the title. It's got nothing to do with career. Um, it's, uh, the last section is profoundly moving and very nostalgic and it sort of unravels as as the symphony it carries tremendous power and momentum and then at the end it in in the way of kind of all the the greatest of Shostakovich's works it it reaches some kind of unraveling that's sort of sublime but also it's not sublime he's never sublime in a way that you can't reach it's always it it always feels very earthly and Mm. very understandable very tangible and it ends with a very poignant duet between solo violin and, and solo viola um, with a very simple little melody. It's almost like a folk melody and it kind of unravels the entire audience and the entire orchestra and everyone who's heard it. And you've gone on this long journey together. And politics aside, I've never been so profoundly moved in a concert as I was at towards the end of that. Are you playing on this recording? No, I'm not, because this was done before I was born. Oh, my <laughs> um, <okay>. Kirill <laughs> Kondrashin. Oh, yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. Um, so this this is... A, I love historical recordings. So it's a great passion of mine is to to go delving through... Um, Me too, by the way. Oh, well, there we go. So this recording, Shostakovich was sitting in the hall for it. And you can hear in the first the concertmaster, the first violinist, you can hear the emotion. He, he, there's a shakiness, a quavering quality to the playing that is just, uh, uh, it's incredibly moving to hear. And I'm, I just, every time I hear it, I think of Shostakovich's reaction to that and how, how he must have felt hearing his music and how it must have felt for that person to play for him and the amount of emotion contained in, in a recording. you don't often hear it you hear very many perfect and sublimely you know uh, wonderfully virtuosic recordings but Mm. this is a recording where somebody is so profoundly moved they they're finding it hard to play and that's really powerful Thank you. 
Zoe gave us a lovely introduction to that. That's the closing moments of the Symphony Number no. 13 by Shostakovich. And we heard there the Moscow Symphony Orchestra, Moscow Philharmonic, conducted by Kirill Kondrashin, a great, great conductor, and certainly, a, like Marvinsky, a great Shostakovich conductor. So my guest is Zoe Bez, who's in Cape Town as part of the Dante Quartet on this particular occasion. And as I said, they're doing a number of workshops and festivals here in Cape Town. But um, I would also like to just ask you now, while we are on you, so to speak, the list of orchestras and people you've played with is very, very impressive, mostly in the UK. And you mentioned the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, um, which, of course, became so famous under Simon Rattle. And now, who did you play under, or what was it like playing there? 
So and I, in that it, wonderful hall. Oh, the hall is the maybe the best in the world. Mm. Yes, answers on a postcard. Anyway, um, extraordinary hall. Uh, so I was there um, when Andres Nelsons was the principal oh, yes, conductor. Yes, yes. And um, so the Nelsons year is incredible. Um, and he's just he's amazing. His energy and his his sort of thirst for, for bringing music out and, and his capacity for um, encouragement is just second to none. He's, and he's doing incredibly well because uh, his recordings that he's releasing, either with Dresden or wherever, are hugely acclaimed. Yes, he's bu- he's just done a Spalius, um, sorry, no, Shostakovich cycle um, with Boston as well, and um, he's done a Beethoven cycle with um, the Dresden. Um, yes, he is just deservedly doing wonders, but um, I think probably some of my favourite concerts with him were um, the Richard Strauss tone poems which are um that's his kind of yes, yes. his his real medium is is sort of color and character he's a very instinctive conductor so he does amazing things with um orchestral color and with um creativity and he's very very spontaneous but now talking about birmingham you're also involved in a thing called arco a distance learning collaboration because apparently you are very interested in education. Yes, absolutely. So I have been um, a lecturer at um, the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire for, for several years, many years. I've lost count now. Um, <laughs> and the wonderful Louise Lansdowne, who's head of strings there, um, brought this ARCO project um, to um, RBC and it is a long, yes, obviously distance learning. Um, so over Zoom um, and giving lessons to kids in Soweto and in various other places now, actually, it's it's spreading and she is now also un- unrolling it in India. So she's extraordinary. One woman powerhouse of ideas. Um, but and, sorry, she's the one based in Birmingham with this with this ARCO. Thing. Yes. So so she's yes. So it's her brainchild. Um, and uh Actually, I have less to do, sadly, now with the um, actual teaching of the uh, kids in various countries, um, more to do with um, teaching people how to teach. Um, so that's been the focus latterly, because the idea is that students um, are equipped to give really good online lessons to people. So that's that's been the focus latterly. Um, but yeah, it's a brilliant project. And I am so excited because the quartet's going to the Morris Isaacson School in Soweto. We're going to be doing youth concerts. Um, I've got my bag packed with loads of strings. I can't <laughs> wait to meet all of these kids and just have a brilliant time. And um, and that's actually in Soweto. In Soweto. And we'll be there um, on the 21st. So really, really excited about that. Gosh, I don't know how you fit all this in because of the teaching you've just spoken about now. Your job is concertmaster of the BBC Philharmonic being part of the Dante Quartet, which tours a lot. And also, as I said, reading through the list of orchestras, um, Norwich Philharmonic, Warwick Symphony Orchestra, BBC Philharmonic, BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra, and the CBSO, the Philharmonia. You've dipped into all of them, it seems. Well, yes. I mean, there's na- part of the nature of being um, a freelance musician, and there is quite a shortage of or- orchestral leaders. So I have been lucky um being in you know the right place at the right time as it were but also i think um 
quite a lot of those things possibly are things that I've played solo. Um, so yeah, you're not doing all of it at the same time. That's no, the only way that it's possible. <laughs> but yes, I like to be busy. I really, I really love what I do. So it's no hardship to be busy. Remember, we were talking just now, Zoe, about the the intimacy and the understanding of a string quartet and how you work there. But with a large symphony orchestra, as you spoke just now about Kirill Kondrashin, um, the conduct has a lot to do with you and how the work turns out. And you, it's time to name drop. I'm sure you've worked <laughs> with some of the great conductors in the UK. Well, yes, I have been very lucky to do that. And um, first first mention should really go to Sir Charles McCarris, who's sadly no longer alive, and Bernard Heiting, also sadly no longer alive. Um, they were two, I'd say, formative conductors for me and also really great human beings. And working with them was so inspirational. One of the things that has fascinated a friend of mine who is in fact a professional musician, a cellist who played in Germany for many, many years and then came back to his home in Pietermaritzburg. Um, both of us like Mahler very much and both of us kind of can't understand why orchestras liked Bernard Heiting so much because he doesn't seem to do much and maybe that's the trick. And his recordings very often, sometimes, forgive me for saying this, might lack a bit of fire. Have I, are you going to stay? You're not going to leave now. I'm, I'll stay. I'll stay. <laughs> um, well, when I worked with Bernard Heitink, um, a lot of people felt like this. There is something, though, I think maybe it's time and a place thing. Um, I was very young when I worked with him, and he was. we were doing Strauss tone poems and Mahler 1 and 2. I remember that the repertoire very clearly, and I remember him... In, in several you know, sort of very moments of great excitement and, and great volume, um, <laughs> jumping in the air in concerts and stuff. And, and so in concert at that point, and, you know, I can only speak from personal experience, it was extremely exciting. The orchestra mm -hmm. was playing out of its skin for him and the audience went crazy. And, and so that's the memory I have of it. <laughs> um, so that for me was really a very important experience, actually, because partly it showed me what a symphony orchestra could do. It was with the LSO a long time ago. And, yeah, I think these, these things are relationships, aren't they? So you can have, you can have a conductor um, and an orchestra really not uh, get on at all, and the concerts are sort of middle-of-the-road, you know, mediocre um, at best, and, and, you know... The next week, they could be with a different orchestra, and it's electric and wonderful. So, mm -hmm. it's very hard, and and I'm really careful not to uh, base my opinions of live conductors on recordings because digital recording is a very complex and not always a favourable thing. Um, and this quest we have for perfection mm. um, is also not always a, not always doesn't really do the music justice. And I think it doesn't a lot for a lot of conductors and players it doesn't do them necessarily justice either no and very often when you do hear a recording that's been spruced up and all that it's got a coldness about it. it's got a yeah. it lacks soul yeah absolutely. it's so perfect that you're almost longing for some ragged string playing or a horn cracking its note or something like that but i'm also very glad that you mentioned sir charles mccarras i was always a fan of his and 
he, I think one of the last things he did was with the Scottish Chamber Orchestra, Ma, uh, Mozart symphonies, the last Mozart symphonies. Yeah, I'm playing on those recordings. Oh, are you? Yes. Well, I love them. Oh, they are my favourite. I know he did a wonderful set with Prague, but these ones were the Scottish. Did you play on his Brahms as well, by any chance? No, so I joined the Scottish Chamber Orchestra just before those recordings were made. The Mozart Um, ones. Yes, yes. I was very young. I think I was about 23. Um, And it was, yes, an extraordinary experience. This very morning on my program, I played number 39, um, which is my favourite Mozart, and what a performance. But anyway, we need to find out your next piece of music which I see is Janacek, the the Sinfonietta. Yes. Is there a story here? Yes, there is a story. And again, it's a personal one. Um, So Sinfonietta, I think, well, Janacek in general, I have to say, is probably, I can't ever talk about, you know, favourites when it comes to composers. It's like choosing your favourite child. It can't really be done. Um, (laughs) But there's something something incredibly powerful for me about um, Janacek um, and his sort of anarchy in music that just works so Especially in this piece, I think. Yes, yes. I love the folk roots of it. I love the the tonal language of it. I love his use of the orchestra. I can't really tell you why, but I just do. I love it so much. It's a kind of fierce feeling that it evokes in me. But this Sinfonietta, um, I've played it um, many times, and every time this kind of um, chorus of of um, brass um, at the start, and then it comes back at the end of the Sinfonietta, it it makes me feel like I want to stand up and, and shout from the rooftops. It's a wonderful feel. Elation doesn't even begin to describe it. And I've got nothing to do with it. So I'm just sitting there on the stage kind of basking in this feeling. <laughs> as, as the brass. It's great. And, you know, free concert as well, which is wonderful. <laughs> um, but latterly, I've played it at, it seems, um, a few of these pieces I've chosen because it's just sort of big emotional moments, really. Um, I've played it um, in Spain um, and the orchestra was was very, very um, politically disrupted at the time I, I was I was playing with them. They were having um, very, very um, uh, upsetting meetings about things um, in every break and they were all very um, stressed. And then we were playing this piece that is really about unity and about... Um, strength in unity and and watching these people play together and play their socks off in the concert and and then how seeing how the music just brought people back together was very moving for me but also it's one of my daughter's favorite pieces and she plays the trumpet uh, kind of as a, as a result of, of Janacek's <laughs> oh, Sinfonietta <laughs> when she was about two or three we were um on a on a walk somewhere, I, th- I forget, in a Welsh mountain, um, and she started singing the opening of it, um, kind of on repeat as we were walking, <laughs> um, which caused any passers-by to look at her with a mixture of disbelief and, and kind of amusement. Um, and I thought, right, she's not going to play the violin. Um, I was quite relieved about that, actually, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> but since then, it's the thing that she has requested to listen to probably most um she loves it so it's for her that i've chosen this and we're going to hear that opening up yes (laughs) 
There you are, part of the opening of the Janacek Sinfonietta, and that was played by the Czech Philharmonic, conducted by Karl Ansel, another great conductor from the past, really, wasn't he, Zoe? Yes, he was, but um, his music making is very vivid, and never it never loses its excitement for me. Yeah. Zoe Bays is my guest here on People of Note this week. Zoe's in Cape Town, also travelling to Johannesburg, as you heard, also to Soweto and Stellenbosch, with the Dante Quartet doing a whole lot of concerts with very interesting programs, by the way, I must say. But we'll talk about that later. I just want to find a little bit more out about you, Zoe. Where, tell me, do you come from a musical family? Where did the music come from in your life? Well, my family definitely are music lovers, and there was never any lack of support and exposure to music. But no, I'm, I'm the first and only musician in the family. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so yes, so my my mum and dad played music endlessly, and and I very quickly developed favourites of of the recordings and things. Um, but yeah, there was a huge amount of of support for me because I think it was a bit incomprehensible, but but it was it, you know definitely something that you they, mean incomprehensible that you should love music so much. Well, that I should want to be a musician. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and and it is never it's never a clear path. Um, hmm. For music, it's 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 a tricky one. And how Everyone, did you choose the violin? Sorry. Oh no, um, I uh, it did it, it chose me. I didn't choose it. <laughs> <laughs> I like no, it. I was I've I've can't remember, but I've always been really obsessed with the sound of the violin, and I I was begging to play um, the violin from a very early age, and and then my parents started me on the piano, thinking this was maybe a passing phase. Um, but How wrong were they? they, they it's a long <laughs> phase, yes. <laughs> right. And you teach your teachers, Noel Travers, who was really quite a famous pedagogue, wasn't he, Noel Travers? Yes, wonderful, wonderful human being. Where do you, where were you born? Stellenbosch. Oh, so you yeah. are a Cape Town. I am a Cape Townian, basically. Yes, yes. Ah, okay. Um, I went to school in Cape Town and um, obviously had violin lessons with Noel, um, who was yeah really incredible influence um, and very kind and wonderful human being. Tell me a little bit about your violin, which um, you've taken a photograph of. (laughs) (laughs) So I play a Mazadri, which is um, not a well-known maker, but it's very much in in the school of, along the lines of um, the Guarneri del Gesù models. Um, So it's, it's from Ferrara. So he's not a it actually sounds like a car, doesn't it? Mazzardi it does. from Ferrara, <laughs> anyway. It does indeed. <laughs> so yes, not a, it's not a fast car. It's a it's a wonderful dark, rich violin with um, yeah, it's really fantastic, and it is um, it was made in seventeen oh nine, so it's very oh, old, yeah. um, and it's with the the very kind support of the Stradivari Trust that I play this incredible mm-hmm. violin. How did you find it? Or did uh, you said the violin found you? That's when you were learning. <laughs> well, but I've heard from other violins they pick up 
one of these great old violins and they know immediately I can make, we're going to work well together. Yes, I very much felt that. The violin has a a very wonderful history as well. It's been played by some really remarkable people for, you know, hundreds of years. So uh, I won't bore you with a whole legacy, but but it's really, it's a well-played instrument. And you can feel that, presumably. Yes, oh, absolutely. We spoke about... um, your concertmaster duties also with the Dante Quartet and orchestral concertos. Do you do you venture into that field as well? So yes, I do a lot of solo actually. Um, mm. Yes, because it's now no longer um, just soloists who play solo or just you don't have to just do one thing, which is you know wonderful and not before time. Frankly, it's mm-hmm. it's great that we are all allowed to do what we want musically now. Um, so yes, I do I do a lot of and I do a lot of. Um, quite unusual stuff as well a lot of um, new repertoire Um, I'm very lucky that you know I'm involved in commissioning stuff and recording very new works Um, very yeah it's a very important part of what we do Um, yeah so it's a very broad range of things actually that and I asked you just now about conductors and now I'm going to ask you do you have a favorite violinist? It could be someone from, as you said earlier, you love historic recordings, or it could be someone who was born five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I definitely have two two that spring to mind. They are, and and you're right, they are from the past. It's it's David Oistrakh and Arthur Grumio, and mm-hmm. very much uh, a lot of my listening as a child was was those two. Um, there are some outstanding players around now, and it feels a bit. Again, like choosing one's favorite child. Yes, yes, um, yes. I, I, and I respect, you know, them beyond anything. It's, it's really, it's a lovely um, industry in that sense, in that there's a lot of professional respect around. Um, Janine Janssens holds mm. a very special place in my heart, partly because of the person that she is. Um, she's really wonderful, wonderful, and also a very complete musician. Yeah, that's interesting. When you say a complete musician, I know what you mean. But now we're going to hear a complete musician, Jesse Norman, because you've chosen Morgan by Richard Strauss. Yes, I have. And this is another very emotional choice for me. Um, I've played this many times, but um, I first heard it in Salzburg, actually, as a teenager. Um, I heard Carita Matilla singing it. Um, And it was the first thing in the concert. And she walked on, and I'd never heard this piece before, and... It started, and there's an exquisite violin solo that duets with the uh, vocal solo. Um, and I think I was just not sideways. And it's never really lost that feeling for me.
Well, there's one of those exquisite songs by Richard Strauss, Morgan, uh, with the, the um, Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra conducted by Kurt Mazur, Jesse Norman working her magic there, and the choice of my guest, Zoe Bears, who's in Cape Town for a tour with the Dante Quartet. And they opened their tour on the 14th at the Endler. Uh, today they're in Stellenbosch, and on uh, the 16th there'll be workshops on the 17th, and then they're off to Johannesburg. Also, on the 18th of October at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church here in Cape Town. What sort of repertoire have you brought out with you, you and the quartet? So we've brought a mix, really. Um, we couldn't come to South Africa without playing some core quartet repertoire so there is Haydn in there the sunrise oh, good. oh yes <laughs> and you can definitely stay <laughs> I'm a huge Haydn fan oh good oh who isn't um and we are also playing Beethoven so we're playing um, opus 59 number one which is the first Razumovsky quartet mm-hmm. and a work of incredible joy um Harder than the Beethoven Violin Concerto. Really? Incredibly difficult. Yeah, Yeah, really. For everybody, incredibly difficult. It's a real... um, I hate to think of it as a showpiece because it's kind of the anti-showpiece, but it is, in terms of virtuosity, it's another level. Um, For the whole quartet, as you say. The whole quartet. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Um, A really uh, profoundly beautiful slow movement in that. And we are playing um, works by living people. So we are playing... um, uh, Plan and Elevation by Caroline Shaw. Now, this is an incredible piece, actually. It's um, about the architecture of, of uh, Dumbarton Oaks, and she won the Pulitzer Prize for it. It's really exquisite. Don't be put off if you haven't heard of Caroline Shaw or if you think it's it's modern, in inverted commas, music. Um, this, I am telling you, will really make sense, and <laughs> it sounds amazing, and it's really... I, I hate the word accessible because well, that's just in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I, I really don't want to say it's accessible or not. I just think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people feel that way when they hear it. They feel something really profound and strong. And that surely is what it's all about. So we're playing Caroline Shaw, we're playing George Walker, also a Pulitzer Prize. Um, and that's, if you think of Adagio for, uh, Barbara Adagio for strings, but if you think of a... Uh, a happier version, the piece we're playing, Lyric for Strings by George Walker, is is very emotional and very beautiful um, along those lines. We're playing a host of other things as well in some of the concerts, for example, in the Olympia Bakery in Cork Bay on the 18th of October. That's a much more relaxed concert and we will be playing um, some Mozart in that as well, some Frank Bridge. We're playing... Um, and chatting to the audience and that, and actually just explaining why we're playing things, which I think is a nice way to introduce music. And at the Olympia Cafe, that's a lovely um, spot right there next to the Atlantic Ocean. I know. Isn't it great to play music in beautiful surroundings yeah, and not always just in concert halls? Yes, and that's on the 19th of October at 8 p.m. at the Olympia Cafe. The day before that is the one at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church here in Greenpoint. Then you're off to Soweto in Johannesburg. So it's quite a tour. So it's been great talking to you, and thanks for coming in when you're so busy and to be able to catch up with you. And our listeners know you well as well from your recordings that we play. But now you're ending with a great favorite of mine, um, and that's the Symphony Number no. 7 by Sibelius. So I'd like to know why you chose this, <laughs> because I possibly know, because what a great piece it is. It really is. Um, 
I think I chose this because of how it feels to play it orchestrally. And uh, there are some feelings of, of um, especially in, in today's post-COVID era where we've, you know, become used to more separation and distance between each other. Um, I think when you're playing music together and you're in this incredible line that Sibelius creates, this wonderful phrase that just never stops and just keeps unfurling, um, the feeling of unity and, and the feeling of uh, not having to hold anything back with your music making and playing, just playing truly together um, is very powerful. And for me, this piece really represents um, a huge amount of what it, it means to be a human being in a world with other human beings. My goodness, <laughs> you went all philosophical there. So, Sorry. But, <laughs> I mean, and the other extraordinary thing about this piece, the many extraordinary things about it is it's all in one movement, but they, it's as though he's taken four movements and dovetailed them together. Yeah. So you even get the sense of a scherzo and a slow yeah, movement and all yeah. that. And it's in C major, <laughs> and yet at times, like the opening, it sounds quite dark, even though we hear a, a C major scale yeah. as it opens. Yeah. So who's performing it for us? We're going to start at the beginning and see how far we get. So this is my orchestra, BBC Philharmonic, with our principal conductor, Jon Storgards. Um, so I'm very proud of being a member of this orchestra. Um, it's a real honour, and I love the way we play Sibelius, so I just wanted to share that. Well, that's a brilliant idea, and thank you for that. And Zoe, thank you for coming in, and enjoy your stay, enjoy your tour, and come again, that's what I say, come again. Come and play a concert for us here in Cape Town. I'd love that, and thank you so much for the chat, Rodney. It's been lovely to see you.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.